<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough, as I always am. I didn't cover it this week, but you might have noticed... That this week, Bitcoin did indeed cross that magical $10,000 a coin mark. In fact, it got to $13,000, only to flash crash back down again to almost that $10,000 mark. But look, seemingly the crypto spring is upon us, and I was just curious as to why. So I asked Aaron Lammer, co-host of the only crypto podcast I listen to, Coin Talk, to come on so we could find out what is behind this rally. TLDR... It's a little bit market cycles, and maybe a lot bit Facebook Libra. Please enjoy. Actually, you know what we need to do is, what is the Bitcoin price index? (laughs) I'm not sure. I think it's about... Well, Jay and I, there's a robot in the, the yeah, Telegram room. It's, it's right. okay. Uh, right now, at 8 a.m. It was 11,850. Okay, listen, listen. Consider us recording. So it is 1124 a.m. Eastern time. The Bitcoin price index is 11,887. And actually, I do need to frame it because I haven't been talking about this all week. Um, I think I did say on last weekend's bonus episode that it was approaching 10,000. But okay, so to sum up the week, Bitcoin blew past 10,000, I think got as high as 13,000? Close to 14,000. Okay. And then gave up about 20% of that in 20 minutes or something. <laughs> and all, all while Coinbase was down. All while Coinbase was... All right. See, I wasn't... I'm, again, I'm not listening or paying as close attention to this stuff. Okay. So the first question is the worst question, which is... Why has Bitcoin roared back to life recently? Obviously, no one knows, but just in a general sense, like, what are the theories out there? Okay, well, so I think there's some, like, macro theories, and then there's some uh, micro theories. Mm -hmm. The macro theory uh, that would be the grand uh, time-based theory of Bitcoin, which is there is a halvening of the difficulty... um, mining algorithm that is due for next year, I believe. And so when Bitcoin crashed down to, uh, what was the Bitcoin low? 3,000 or so? The Kang line? Yeah, the Kang. It, it went just under the Kang line. Uh, this is for people listening. Uh, a joke we make on Cointalk, which is that Jay said that he would um, buy back uh, when it was 3,200, when the price was over 10,000. And we made a lot of fun of him, and he was indeed correct. The price did go below the king line. So I think once it got that low, at least in my mind, it was only a matter of time before it eventually rallied back. And that's because I fundamentally believe in Bitcoin. And also because I think there's larger market dynamics at play in terms of things like this halvening of the difficulty algorithm. It has real repercussions for the supply of new Bitcoin on the market, which affects price. So that does not explain why it's happening now. That explains why, from the low, I thought, uh, within the next two years, we should see a Bitcoin mega rally. And that's why I, I 
personally to not sell my Bitcoin. And also because it would have broken my heart to sell my Bitcoin <laughs> for, for $3,200. Um, in the more micro way, I think what people are saying is that um, Libra, uh, formerly known as Facebook coin, formerly known incorrectly as Global Coin, um, moved the market. Um, and I could say several ways in which I think Libra has had a positive effect on, on Bitcoin price uh, from the very dumb to the somewhat uh, elegant and subtle. Okay, so put a pin in Libra for, for now, because I obviously we're going to come back to that. I, I'm happy to put a pin in Libra for all Completely, time. Completely, yes. Now I'm, now I'm starting to experience the horror of re- realizing that Libra could work. It, it's actually easier to make fun of Libra than to be terrified of it, and I think we should be a little terrified of it. Well, we are, we are definitely going to come back to that. But, <clears throat> okay, so now it, it, it jumped up had the the dip back down um you guys spoke a couple episodes ago about like some sort of a sharp rally decline with ledger status and and i think just generally has it become consensus that the the big rally 18 months ago or whatever was to some degree uh market manipulation um is if that is the consensus is is there any sort of signs of that right now as well well um what 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 is one man's market manipulation is another man's market so i think whether it's market manipulation or just the market kind of depends on your uh cultural perspective and perhaps your relationship to libertarianism um however if you do fall on the market manipulation side i think what people said was the primary driver what was what is known as the tether printer uh which is Every time a bunch of new tethers hit the market, there it's been followed by a massive Bitcoin rally. And to answer your question, yes, a bunch of tethers hit the market. Oh, great. So <laughs> I think that can be a little misleading because a bunch of tethers have hit the market several times um, and not always caused a massive rally. But if I were to say... I think that this move probably had multiple components of, of why it happened. Uh, I think most people would say that the tether printer probably played some role. Um, and is it is this rally Bitcoin specific, or is it l- largely being shared across the universe of alts and, and and crypto generally? Well, I think the best way to look at that is to look at um, the Bitcoin dominance. Uh, indicator, which is basically what percentage of the overall crypto market is Bitcoin. And uh, Bitcoin is gaining, which is to say uh, it's getting higher and higher percentage Bitcoin. So I would say the overall story here is of Bitcoin um, uh, trouncing alts and pushing them, uh, pushing them out to the periphery. Now, alts did, in terms of US dollar fiat, gain value during this rally, but Bitcoin outpaced them. And a lot of people look at the uh, 65% amount. People say that if Bitcoin passes 65% dominance, it will almost be impossible for for alts to ever recover from that. And it's at about 61% right now, 62%. So we're kind of we're kind of uh, reaching alt oblivion here, at least for some people. Now, other people would say that means it's a great time to buy alts and alt season is right around the corner. Um, okay, we can't avoid it. On to, on to Libra, which, by the way, 
I appreciate you and Jay turning me on to the fact that, you know, Libra is an astrological sign. What else is an astrological sign is Gemini, which is owned by the Winklevi. So these these poor bastards have to be like, what do we have to do to get away from, to get away from Mark Zuckerberg at this point? Although obviously this is joking, we're not saying he's. It's still. all. It's all. There's been some very strong evidence over the last week that we're living in some sort of a simulation. <laughs> uh, I think that kind of summarizes it all. Like this may all be a video game that's being played out between Mark Zuckerberg and and the Winklevoss twins in the future. Uh, it's just kind of incredible that these two people who were like um, rich competing assholes when they were uh, 20 are like back at it again in a totally different sphere. Um, Okay, so fundamentally, the suggestion is that the news of Libra is good for crypto. It's going to mainstream crypto. That's fueling people, that's fueling rally because people are like, well, this is going to turn so many people on to this idea. I, I'm going to make the argument that fundamentally, I don't think that that's true. But like, it, what what is the argument aside? I, I get the argument that Libra is good for crypto is just that it's going to mainstream it, right? I, I that's not the smart argument. I don't think. What's um, the smart that argument? May, um, I don't think you can talk about Libra without talking about Bitcoin. I think that to even express what Libra is is to talk about the difference between Libra and Bitcoin in a way that is inherently flattering to Bitcoin. Um, just like if I were to ask you to discuss the difference between email and Facebook Messenger, I think your tone would be, well, email is a protocol that's existed for many years. It's not controlled by any individual body. There's a good chance of being around in 20 more years. Um, you can use it anywhere in the world. It's not censored. It's totally uh, it's totally functional. Um, I think that when people start talking about Libra and they try to explain what it is, they immediately mention Bitcoin and immediately your brain compares the two of them. And the comparison is pretty good for Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is fundamentally not controlled by anybody. Uh, not to mention one of the richest men in the world who's accountable to nobody, right? Correct. It's um, already works. We already know what it is. Uh, you can buy it right now. Libra is not even launching for quite a while. So I think that you know when Libra gets mentioned on cable news, they end up having to talk about Bitcoin. I think that is probably bullish for Bitcoin. And in a larger sense, and this is probably the most controversial argument I've made on the show, I fundamentally believe that the hardest thing that Bitcoin is facing is the leaps between the dollar in your pocket and a Bitcoin in your pocket. You have to go through this elaborate system of taking a picture of your ID and signing up for an exchange. And it's really beyond many people's um, capacity to buy Bitcoin. And then to have Facebook enter that market, first to validate that market and say, hey, Holding a cryptocurrency is something you're probably going to want to do in the future. In fact, it's going to be so mainstream that it's going to be a part of the Facebook experience. That's a huge nod in their direction. And then when I look at these know-your-customer requirements that are stopping so many people from being able to buy Bitcoin, Facebook already has all that data. So this is a dystopian bull case for Bitcoin, but I truly think that 
within the next couple of years, people will probably be buying Bitcoin with Libra uh, in some official capacity um, that leans on some of the identity work that Facebook has already done. And this is actually, you can see it nested in the Libra white paper. They kind of shoehorn in that they see Libra not just as a currency, but as a form of decentralized digital identity. So if you look at all these stories and what they're converging on, thinking of Libra as a competitor to Bitcoin is kind of like, oh, okay, that's an easy step one. But what if Libra opens up this massive Bitcoin market because it allows for simple transactions from your Libra wallet to, I don't think it's out of the question that your Libra wallet would allow you to hold Bitcoin in it. Okay, but to use uh, your terminology, this this is my huge bear case. Like if, if I'm in crypto, I would mm-hmm. be angry and scared about Libra from the get-go, not only because it betrays you know, these decentralized ideals. I mean, this is like, okay, we, we, we want to get away from central banks and things like that. Oh, no, well, the solution is, is hand it over to Mark Zuckerberg. But, but then the, the more important thing is, is, again, to use your terminology, once you train a bunch of people to use fake internet money, why, why would they? I don't. If if I dabble in investing in euros, doesn't mean I'm going to get into drachma or rubles or like once. If if Libra works, why would anyone? You, you were just suggesting it that that it would turn people on or turn people off, and they'd want an alternative. But I don't know that that's true. I think once people have okay, I've got cash, I've got credit cards, and I've got fake internet money. I don't need anything else. How much money have you ever kept in your PayPal account at a given time? Yeah, like. $100 or, or less. Right. Right. So if a bunch of advertisers on Tech Meme all this said, uh, hey, could I play PayPal this month? You'd be like, yeah, okay. And you would immediately let's say, withdraw it. <laughs> yeah. Let's say you got 10 grand in there. First thing you do would be like, how do I get this money out of my PayPal account? Now, 100 bucks is fine. And I think I usually have. You know, the last 200 bucks I sold on eBay is usually in my PayPal account, and I usually use it to buy something else with PayPal, and I just sort of wash myself of the money. Uh, I certainly wouldn't keep a part of my life savings in there. So to me, there's a future in which Libra is accepted lots of places. It's a very easy-to-use digital currency in the vein of Venmo or PayPal. And you hold savings or the money that you like really, really are keeping for the long term uh, in something like Bitcoin that's not controlled by a Visa or MasterCard. Because I think we all implicitly know that you shouldn't keep a ton of money in PayPal. I think Libra will be the same way. And I think people will be looking for a, um, you know, I, I think in the future, people may look at Bitcoin the way they look at like bonds. Like I have a bunch of bonds sitting in a savings deposit box. I know this is crazy right now because Bitcoin just shed 20% of its value in like 15 minutes. But in the everything goes to digital currency landscape, I would expect people to be trading between Bitcoin and Libra, Libra for everyday spending, Bitcoin as a more portable international wealth transfer. So like maybe you do send money home to your family in Libra. But maybe they don't want to keep all of that money in Libra forever. Maybe they swap that back to Bitcoin um, for the nest egg. Um, I specifically, I credit you specifically on the show. Thank you. As the person that when when this idea of a Facebook cryptocurrency first came around, you were the one that made the the 
coherent argument to me of why it would work, why it's brilliant. Um, do you still feel that confident about why it, that that it probably will work? Granted, of course, we don't know. They they don't even know all the details they have to work out yet. But can you see Libra catching on for someone like your mom? I don't think so. Well, my mother doesn't even use Facebook, so she's probably a bad candidate. Right. Um, but I can see it. Yeah, I can. I can see it becoming as universal as social networking is universal. Um, that said, I'm not sure I'm so much like bullish that Libra itself is going to work. I see Libra as an imitation of a lot of the stuff that's happening around messaging identity and transfers in Asia. And I think it's smart strategy on Zuckerberg's part. Like I think he is skating to where the puck is going, which is something that Facebook has historically actually been pretty good at, um, reinventing itself in the model of what's happening now instead of what was happening two years ago. So in that in that way, I'm like, well, he didn't make a terrible choice if he was going to like rebrand what Facebook is here as not the news feed, but whatever Libra is. That doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to work, though. I think what he's imagining for Libra will work for someone. And that's sort of ultimately what I find bullish for Bitcoin is I actually see less competitors for Bitcoin than I do. Um, Libra has to compete with the 90 other services that are doing similar things to this that are all basically allowing you a digital buck that you can transact with. Um, Bitcoin feels more distinguished, honestly. And I don't know if there's going to be other American competitors emerging, but my impression is internationally, this isn't just like a market that Facebook walks in and scoops up immediately. Like WePay and things like that are already huge. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Miro is a visual collaboration platform that gives your team more clarity through comprehensive functionalities that work together with your existing tool sets to make any sprint ritual 
whether it be a stand-up estimation, sprint planning, or retrospective, more efficient, clear, and ultimately more productive. When I did the AI resume project, I wanted it done fast and dirty. I used a remote team, and so I used Miro to keep everything on track. Miro helps ensure your team has the context they need before devoting time and resources to get the work done. With Miro, planning team tasks is smoother and gives everyone a clear sense of mission for every sprint. Plan sprints with ease using Miro's planner widget. Connect your team's Jira or Azure instance to your Miro board to visualize and filter tasks by sprint week, status, epic, and team. Normally, mapping dependencies just links one ticket to another, but Miro has visual representations on which tasks are dependent on others. Filter by a critical level, team, and more. Streamline your estimation ritual and quickly check if your team is over or under capacity to help them be more realistic and grounded on the team's capabilities, size, etc. Whether you work in product design, engineering, UX, agile, or marketing, bring your team together on Miro. Your first three Miro boards are free when you sign up today at Miro.com. That's three free boards at M-I-R-O.com. Yeah, let me. <clears throat> this is gonna this is gonna take a while to get through, but let me let me throw a theory. I got, I got nothing but time. Let me throw. It's, it's a weekend special episode. On Anything the goes. on the it's it's a scale. Okay, on the low end of the scale, this is just you know. Um, News feeds are on the way out. Social networking, as we've understood it all this time, is on the way out. The future is these super apps like exist in Asia. That's the low end of the scale. Mm-hmm. Then the high end of the scale, I joked on Twitter that this is happening all because we didn't let Mark Zuckerberg run for president. Um, but I'm kind of not joking about that in the I, sense... I, I sort of agree with that. Yeah, because here's, what, here's how I mean that. You and I, if we imagine having a billion dollars, we're like, you know what? You're never going to see me again because I'm going to buy my island in the South Pacific and that's it, right? But on a fundamental level, these rich, powerful guys, like, at some point, like, you want to keep going. Like, you have all the money in the world and you want to do stuff. And if Zuckerberg Zuckerberg saw all you needed to have is celebrity and you can become president, that would have been a great next 10 years of life for him, right? It would have been yep. something different It would and he would have, you know, continued to do things. So the high end of the scale, I'm starting to think, because have you seen, I mean, this is a real thing. Like, they're, they're almost writing a constitution right now. Like, uh, Facebook is putting together this, like, Supreme Court for adjudicating, like, content issues on the platform. And, yeah. and um, like, the people on this uh, board will, like, serve for four-year terms and things like that. So, as, much, as hyperbolic as it's been all these years for us to say, well, Facebook has a, a bigger population than any nation-state, I'm not saying this in a uh, Dr. Evil sort of way, but the high end of the scale I'm thinking now is is that Zuckerberg is like, well, I didn't get to be president. And, you know, I do affect the lives of billions of people. So maybe I can create I, – I, I've already have a successful business, but what if I create a business that is beyond what we thought businesses are? So that it is some sort of a hybrid of a government and a business. And again, it's hyperbolic to say, well, the first thing you would do is create your own currency. And but uh, so I guess, uh, like I said, that was rambling. Where I don't are, think it's hyperbolic to say a person who counts more than half of the earth as customers uh, creating a, his own form of money is a form of becoming a nation state. Uh, I, I would say that's pretty literally, like bluntly true. Like so, that's my when you that's start my question. issuing money. 
you are taking on the role of a country. Where are we on the spectrum where the low end is just imitating the Asian apps and the high end is, well, you know what? People have been saying this is a nation state all along. So, hey, maybe I can make it into some sort of hybrid version of that. Well, the other thing is that by doing this, instead of running away from attention, which was Zuckerberg's historical role, he's sort of courting the attention of regulators. Like You have a company that's already under investigation, people are already calling to break it up, and that company says, we want to issue our own currency, it's going to be based out of Switzerland, and it's not even us. We're like decentralizing it to some other independent body while we create judicial bodies to police our content. I see this as like uh, a very clear, like we see ourselves as some sort of transnational nation um, that emulates the way that people live today, which is often living and working in a different country that they have citizenship from, uh, moving money back home. They basically are like saying we're like um, citizenship 2.0 here. And part of that, I think, is inspired by the fact that Zuckerberg realizes that like the the industries he landed in, like media, and um, uh, which is really what like uh, newsfeed has become, are, are just not very good industries. That's not an industry I would want to own particularly. I'd much rather own the banking industry. Um, so I would look at this as Zuckerberg moving into the business that's traditionally associated with either being a government or a large international bank. Right, and you know, there's. And, and when you and when you come to peace with this, it makes a lot of our current politics and situations make sense. There's the whole idea that people at a certain level have the sense that governments around the world are weak in the sense that no one really can stop you if you are Mark Zuckerberg and you want to create your own currency and you want to create your own quasi government. Like, so Just like no one stopped Uber when Uber like broke all of the taxi laws all over the world. Right. So if that is true and people have come to that conclusion, then, you know, why not? Why not? Like, a hundred years from now, the legacy of Zuckerberg won't be, oh, he, he created this interesting business. He was the first to realize that business could be something beyond business. You know, something... We said, we said on Cointalk that if this works, the Wikipedia page will be like, did you know that Facebook was actually originally some kind of a weird social networking company before it became the world's bank? Right. Well, right, right. The, the, all you of those... read things about that, like in the 1900s. Like, right. oh, this guy was like um, selling, like, uh, you know, selling suits door to door. And then that became company became the largest life insurer in America. Well, the, the best tech example of that is Nokia, which literally was uh, a fishing company in Finland for, for years and then got into manufacturing and then obviously tech stuff. But wasn't uh, um, Nintendo right. some sort of a like. Um, what did they do? They did like uh, cigarette, like uh, cigarette ad cards or something like that originally. And then got I'm wrong about some, that. People are going to yell gaming cards or something. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's like it, it's two or three totally radical steps between video games and Nintendo. But that's what happens when con- companies last for like fifty plus years. Like the industry you started in just won't exist anymore. I, I don't think social networking is going to exist as a business in 10 years um real quick before i let you go and this is a little self-indulgent but it's my show and as i have said and i'll say again coin talk is the only crypto podcast i listen to regularly um i don't know that i know your personal story in terms of 
how, why, when you got into crypto. Yeah. Um, so give me the too late. Too late uh, <laughs> is the is the my, would be my main summary. Well, just just uh, real quick, give me the two minute summary of why you got intrigued by it and 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 like why you still are. Well, I was like uh, a pretty typical like uh, you know skeptic, make fun of Bitcoin kind of person. I think I probably had the same attitude as most people who write for uh, Gizmodo and The Verge, which was. Um, isn't this ridiculous? And I did follow it as an isn't this ridiculous story. I, I do think that the narratives that have been produced by the crypto era have been pretty incredible. I mean, the Silk Road story was just unbelievable. You know, like what a story. Um, and I had also followed some of the dark web stuff that came after it, like the Alpha Bay guy. I think like right around when I was getting interested in crypto, I remember actually the guy who ran Alpha Bay, which was the successor to Silk Road, um, hung himself in a Thai prison. And they were like, he had this many Bitcoin and this many Ethereum in these wallets, and it was you know $80 million. And we'll never know how much Monero he had because Monero is totally anonymized and it's impossible to break into a wallet. And I was like, whoa, what's this Monero stuff? <laughs> what's going on over there? Monero was literally your entry drug. So yeah, I mean, I, and that, uh, I had already bought like a small, small amount of Bitcoin at that point, like a hundred dollars worth. And I started sort of reading about altcoins and something about that that flourishing, even though it was ridiculous, like realizing that it was gonna be many, many things, each with their own slant and logo and something about it, I don't know, it like tickled some part of my brain that's I, you know, probably related to like collecting and also being kind of always interested in like real nascent internet technology stuff. Like I was real into like bullet board systems when I was in high school and I've always, I've always found the sort of fringes of um, tech culture to be the most interesting. And this just felt like one where there was this like new, extremely bizarre cultish con man-ish fringe Um and so I, I wanted to like buy some altcoins and that kind of involved like a various like learning how to do it kind of stuff, you know, too much time on Reddit basically. <laughs> and I was getting so deep into it and sort of also wrapping my co-host Jay Kang, who was a little, a little bit just slightly behind me getting into crypto, but had already gone through the whole like online poker boom and is friends with like a lot of online poker players whom almost all were already deep into Bitcoin. So he was kind of my initial source for like, these are the altcoins we should buy and like, here's how we do it. And uh, it was so fascinating that it just sort of felt like it'd be fun to share in that like weird voyage we were on. Last question. And this is not mutually exclusive and I don't mean this in any pejorative sense at all, but how much of of it is you truly believing in the the promise of crypto as a technology and how much of it is like well hey this is a chance to get rich myself i i almost feel like those things are sort of the same thing um i think everyone sort of wants to make a bet with their time or their entrepreneurial spirit or whatever that they get into something and that thing also proves to be the thing 
and it being the thing has some sort of personal advantage or financial advantage to you. Um, I think like sort of investing in like becoming literate in internet stuff and programming, which I'm, you know, really pretty amateur at myself, but all of those things are sort of bets on a certain kind of future. I think Bitcoin takes that basic framework and just puts it on crazy steroids to the point where it really is gambling. Um, and I would say I'm probably driven more um, by the market and price than I should be. I think like I'd have a purer view if I just thought of it as a technology. But the only way that Bitcoin works is a million people of people buy in. So it kind of has to have that greed factor to work. So I guess I don't spend too much time thinking about which it is. I'm always just sort of impressed by the elegance of the Satoshi design, which sort of runs on greed. Like greed is kind of its gasoline which is sometimes not a bad thing. <laughs> well, like when you look at like, well, why is the chain secure? It's like, well, people are mining. Well, why are they mining? Well, because of greed. It's like, okay, all right, I'm starting to get this. You right, know, like, right. well, why, why are, why are people not doing a 51% attack where they um, destroy the chain? Well, you'd have to have so many Bitcoin to do that attack. You'd be costing yourself millions and quickly billions of dollars by doing so. So, um, in some ways, it's sort of protected by capitalism itself, which I think you could argue that like a lot of Western nation states are also protected by capitalism. Like when we think, well, why is this whole thing not going to fall apart? Or like, well, there's a lot of people with some pretty big investments in this not falling apart. I think that they're probably going to uh, protect those investments and for many people, that's meant keeping capitalism in place or keeping whatever version of democracy we have in place. So I think when you start talking about Bitcoin, it, it goes very quickly from sort of a gambling discussion to a business discussion to a political discussion. Because as we discussed with Libra, I think that ultimately these kinds of ideas, whether they're done by Facebook or Satoshi Nakamoto, are disruptive of what states do. Um, I've, I've mentioned Cointalk so many times on the show that I can't imagine everyone listening is not already a subscriber. But uh, plugging Cointalk, the podcast, is anything else you want to? Because you do all was, sorts of things. I'll, well, I'll just say that if you want to go and hear a very early take on Libra before it existed, sort of outside of like being spun, uh, we did an episode, I think it's called Mark Toshi Zuckermoto. Yep, yep, it's yep. in the archive that is about it. And that was sort of before anything was known about it. Uh, I also co-host uh, Long Form, the Long Form podcast, uh, which uh, Tech Meme Ride Home podcast has been a generous sponsor. <laughs> so shouts, shouts to both of those entities. Uh, and um, I do other stuff. You can find it on my website, AaronLammer.com. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, this has been great. I, I, I love what you do. 